one. So um, turn, you feel free to use the bulletin there. We have the, the, the text there for you. 1 Peter 3, 18-22, where you can look in your, turn in your Bibles there. Um, you know, it just... It's good to have your Bible out. I, I, I will, you know, I make references to other passages, and um, and uh, so, but um, it's there for you. Um, this passage, you know, it's a small. I didn't. I did, there's not many verses. You know, I, you've noticed I kind of do, you know, probably seven, ten verses, maybe more. I mean, Exodus, it was a lot, right? But. Um, but we're just looking at, what is that, you know, um, five verses here. Um, this is what Martin Luther called uh, maybe the most obscure passage in the New Testament. <laughs> and, uh, I just, you know, so as you read it, and if you, as I read it and you go, what? You know, like, you're like, what is... What's going on? Uh, just know Martin Luther had, you know, the, the Reformer, 95 Theses, that, that one, that he had the same, you know, a reaction. Um, and, uh, but, you know, this is, like I said, you know, we, it is, we, we've, I'm convinced in, in our tradition as Presbyterians, we preach through books of the Bible. And, you know, there's sometimes you want to, Go around something, you know, and kind of maybe skip over and just gloss and, you know, give just a generalized, you know, explanation. But, you know, we, we're going to preach through the whole book. We're going to deal with it, each text. And, uh, and so, you know, we're going to preach through, if I'm preaching through First Peter, uh, the only, only way out is through. I'm gonna, we're going we're gonna to go through it. And, um, but this, this is not, again, you have to back up. This is not written to be confusing. Again, that's never the, that's never the purpose of the Holy Spirit. That's never the, never the purpose of God is to, is to put something in the scripture and leave you just confused and angry. That's not his heart for us. It's, there's beautiful truth here. There's real gospel truth here. There's, um, there's, an, there's this reference, an Old Testament reference, and then there's a, a reference to a sacrament, and it's, it's all illustrative to just the deep and amazing truth of the gospel, and particularly the great victory in the, 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 uh, the immensity of the victory of Christ. And, and, and just try to bring it home, just exactly how amazing it is, and, um, and exactly how secure we are. Um, in him, and so that that's 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 the that's the purpose here. So let me uh, let's read this together. And before I read, let me let me pray again. Lord God, thank you for this your word. Thank you for the whole book of this whole letter of Peter, as it puts into context um, the gospel truth and our suffering, the suffering of the first century Christians under persecution, the and just throughout just. Truth of the gospel and application. Gospel truth application. Is it just, as he just hits us with that again and again, again, always bringing us back to the truth of the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. We thank you for this letter and thank you for just it meets us where we are. We are all uh, suffering in some way, maybe not through persecution, but just there's, there are hard things and um, our own sin, our own. 
um, our own just living in a fallen world, sickness that we prayed for, um, sin that we've confessed. Lord, there's, there's just hard things. And uh, you are with us and we're secure in you. So Lord, bring this to bear through this obscure passage um, that's hard to understand. Give us clarity. Give us, um, help us to see your truth. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Peter 3, 18-22 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Um, three, the three things I want us to see, and I think are very clear in this passage, in this obscure passage, as Luther says. I want us to first see, this is all about Christ's victory. And the first thing is I want to see is the means of Christ's victory. Second, the extent of of Christ's victory. And then thirdly, the security of Christ's victory. The means, the extent, and the security of Christ's victory. Um, when we read this, it's if you've been reading with us, if you've been going through the, the scripture with us, this, this this study, you realize there's there's it's very similar to what he said before. There's a there's a good bit of repetition in, in First Peter. And it, it's it's in close relation to to First Peter uh, chapter two, verses twenty one through twenty four. Let me read that. We've looked at that a few weeks ago. He says, For to this you have been called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins and his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And so that, that's very similar, isn't it? Um, he suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might be, bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Again, the emphasis is on the, uh, the fact that Christ has done the work of redemption. He's the one that's, that's suffered for our sins. And, and I want you to realize that um, that's such an, uh, an important point. Um, he, he is, that He has suffered. And He has suffered just once. Uh, that, that, this, that, this, um, that His victory... Is, is, is through his death. And that death, that payment, that atonement was sufficient. It was enough. That's why it's just once. And, and sometimes, you know, we, we almost function as in kind of a, 
a Roman Catholic kind of sense. You know, when the Roman Catholics think about the, the Lord's Supper, they think about it as a, 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 another sacrifice. They call it the Mass. It's another, that we're sacrificing yet again. Jesus having to die yet again, and yet again. And, and sometimes we, we, we function that way. That, that our sin, that as we struggle, that each time we sin, we're going, man, what... I've, I've done it again. I'm, I'm in jeopardy again. How, maybe God won't love me now. Maybe, I've, maybe this is... No, no. You keep sinning, but the victory, the death of Jesus is always enough. He died... He suffered once for sins. It's not, there's no new action He has to take. Now we're called to continue to turn to Him... And that turning to Him doesn't pay for the sin. Let me say that. Turning to Christ doesn't make up for the sin. It's the work of Christ. It's that, it's that one suffering, that death on the cross that deals with the sin. And you're turning to the one who has already won victory over that. He has died to it. He has shed His blood. His atonement is enough. And He has died once. And again, that's where this, this is very similar. It's the same point he's made earlier in the book in, in chapter 2 but he's adding something to it that when we think about the victory the victory of his death we have to put with it the resurrection that, that we can't talk about the death of, of Christ and again you know I've heard Rick explain this to us so well you know uh, months years ago but just how we talk about the cross you can't separate it from the resurrection that, that, you know, again, if he died and said, I'm going to go die for your sins and didn't raise, was it raised from the dead? You go, he could say, well, he had the power to lay down his life, but if he didn't have the power also to take it up again, we wouldn't know if, there was, if it was sufficient. We wouldn't know if it was enough. We wouldn't know if it was done. But he said it's finished and then three days later rose again. And you're saying, where is the resurrection here in this text? Well, look, it's the, it's the very end of, of verse 18. Being put to death in the flesh, but now he's been made alive in the Spirit. And, you know, at first read, again, this is the, where the complexity begins with this text. At first read, you might go, does that mean he, his body died, but it's just a spiritual resurrection? And that was one of the early heresies of the church, that Jesus, and probably, maybe they were looking at First Peter and going, well, did Jesus really, was he really raised body and soul? Yes. This doesn't, this doesn't mean the, the physical died, but the spirit raised. But it's in the spirit, by the power of the spirit, he was raised again to new, new life. William Harrell puts it like this. Jesus died in the likeness of sinful flesh. And on account of the imputation of our sins to him, but he was made alive by virtue of his own perfect sinless spirit. Jesus conquered. Jesus is the victor because he died for our sins and rose again. And when we think about when we think about the cross, when we think about his sacrifice, when we think about our, the payment for our sins, we have to remember both his humiliation but also his exaltation. Both that he, he died, but that there's new life. That he, he as it says at the, at the end, that he is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Victorious, ruling, and reigning with all authorities under him. And, and that victory, um, that victory 
is, yeah, it flows from the fact that his sacrifice was perfect, final, and therefore does not need to be repeated. He came, he was perfect in his life, perfect in every thought, word, and deed. He died, he died for you, he died for me, he stood in the gap, he absorbed the wrath, and then he rose again in resurrection victory. And that victory is ours. That victory is yours. And that's the amazing thing about the gospel. That that God could come in the flesh and do that. And then that victory is shared with you and me. But look, it says that right there. That He did all this. That He might bring us to God. That He might bring us to God. Again, throughout the scriptures, it was, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever should believe in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The, the, the motivation of, 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 of the Father, the motivation of the Son, the motivation of the Spirit is to bring to Himself His loved ones. And you are objects of His love. You, from the, before the foundation of the world, He loved you and has planned and then executed that plan to bring you to Himself. There are times in my own fleshliness and humanity and being tired that I just want to be left alone. Do you ever feel that way? I love you, but I want to love you over there. Okay? Maybe that's the introvert in me. I love you, but I'm going to love you. I can love you without seeing you right now. I really can. Um... (laughs) And I really, my default is, because the more I grow in grace, I know my own sinfulness, I know my shortcomings, I'm going, God's got to look at me that way. Right? I love you, but I want to love you. Yeah, I love you, Grant. But just kind of over here. Like, he loves me, and his whole aim is for this guy (laughs) to be with him. That blows me away. And, and the fact that it blows me away is evidence that the Spirit's at work. And I think that's you too. Like, I hope that's your... Like, you, if you have moments going, is God really the God, the, God who made, the God who made all things? And He wants to be... He wants me to be with Him? He wants you to be with Him? That's amazing. That's beautiful. I can't, it's hard to believe. But he does this. He dies and he's risen. His, his victory, is, the means of this victory is his death and his resurrection. And it's all to bring us to himself. What an amazing reality. Ephesians 2, 11 through 13 says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, or what is called the circumcision. Uh, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Another commentator said this. He says, His resurrection brings triumph after suffering. A triumph that is the hope of suffering Christians. 
That's where this meets us. That's where the resurrection meets us. Not just, okay, well that's true. Jesus rose again, but His resurrection, His triumph is your triumph. His, His victory is your victory. And He's and it's all to bring you to Himself. Resurrected, renewed, glorified, body and soul with Him forever. And so whatever we're going through, whatever we're dealing with, whatever the, the persecutions and the suffering of this fallen world, it's, it's not just... Jesus died and rose again, but his, his victory is our victory. His death and resurrection means, yeah, we'll pass through death, but we will also pass into this resurrection, glory, and victory. That's the means of the victory. What's the extent of the victory? And that's, that's, what, and that's what Paul, um, um, Paul, Peter, it's called First Peter, Grant. Okay, so that's what Peter, uh, it's in the title, that's how you know. But, um, it, but you know, it, it's uh, that's what he's trying to get to. He's making a point of just the magnitude and the extent of this of this victory, and he does it in these following verses. Look what he says. He goes, um, verse nineteen, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Okay, why? Because they formerly did, did not obey. Okay. When? When God's patience waited in the days of Noah. What? While the ark was being prepared. What do we do with that? <laughs> what do we do with that? Well, again, we know, the, we know the big picture. We know what he's doing with it. But how do we interpret it? Uh, well, there's three major interpretations over the years of what this could mean. One, one way of reading this is that Jesus descended into hell, literally, and preached to the spirits of those who perished in the flood in the time of Noah. Um, and, you know, if you, have, if you hold this view, that you, what, what is he proclaiming to them? Some would hold that he's going and giving them another chance, that he's proclaiming the gospel, and there's a second chance for repentance. Well, I, I, I'm convinced in the Scriptures that's not true. That can't be the case. Some think he went there to proclaim... It doesn't say what he's proclaiming, that he's proclaiming judgment and doom. Uh, to those who are separated from him that are there. And, and, and the point there is, I you know, read other... You know, kind of what was the point of that? They're already being separated from, from God. Here's the second view. The second view is that Christ's preaching was done in the Spirit through Noah. That they were imprisoned spiritually in that time. Um, and so, you know, again, to support this, how would you support that? Well, in, 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 this, um, um, in this, earlier he, just, he said in, in this letter, he talks about the prophets of old that were spiritual that we're preaching or declaring in the Spirit of Christ. Um, yeah, this is, uh, I believe, chapter 1, verse 10. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ. And so, is this Peter saying that, yes, it's the Spirit, the, the Spirit of Christ or the Holy Spirit that is actually was actually being working preaching through Noah while he was building the ark. 
And the other one is that he's talking, that these, the other view is that imprisoned spirits refers to fallen angels. And maybe you've heard that preached before. You've heard that view. That Jesus proclaims to them his victory and their doom. And that he does this after the resurrection. Well, what do we do with that? Well, I do think that one commentator pointed out, however you come down on that, it doesn't really take away from the fact that Jesus won. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like with Re- Revelation. Y'all, we might have different views of that in this. But Jesus wins. And we're all, you know, and, that, and there's, there's victory for His people. There's judgment for His enemies. But I'm going to tell you how I think we should uh, understand this. Um, when I read this, it, it seems clear that he's talking about that the timing. I think the first question you've got to answer is, when is he actually declaring this? When is this going out? When is, when is this being declared? It seems clear that it's, when, it's in the days of Noah. That it's not uh, during the time of Jesus. It's not after the resurrection. It's not after the ascension. It's, it's in the time of Noah that this happened. Um. That God's patience during the time before the flood. Um, and think about that. What, what, what's happening there? What's happening there? When, do you know how long it, talk, it took Noah to build the ark? A hundred years. You know, it's taken us a little while to get some buildings projects going around here. But in, in perspective... And I think that's what we need to do. To compare it to Noah's building project, we're doing really good. We're doing really good. Um, some of y'all maybe have built a house before. You know what it's like. You know this feels like it's taking forever. It's gonna. We'll get it done before hundred years. You know. Um, but it took a hundred years. And what do you again? What what was happening in that process? In that time, people were looking at Noah like he was crazy, and Noah was saying, "What? There is a judgment coming." Turn, repent, look to the Lord. For a hundred years, he's building away. He and his sons building away, cutting down, getting that more gopher wood, you know, mixing up pitch and bitumen, which I don't say that word enough. So anyway, doing that and and, and making the ark and and preparing and because because he was convinced. That God's word is true, and that there was judgment for sin, and and so, yeah, this this is this is this was the ministry of Noah, and he declared it. But again, according to the Genesis and, and Peter here, it was only eight persons that believed, that trusted. That there was a possibility, apparently, of escape from judgment. For the people there. And again, this idea that he was talking to the angels or the, that that was who these imprisoned spirits are doesn't quite make sense because there is no repentance. There is no second chance for the angels according to the scriptures. Another, another commentator said that maybe a better translation is he went to this passage, this verse, he went and preached to those who are now spirits in prison when they form, disobeyed formerly in, uh, in the days of Noah. That's another way of thinking about it. Is that, is that this, he's saying that it was these, 
disobedient ones, but because of their disobedience in the days of Noah, they are now imprisoned spirits waiting on the final judgment. But in Noah's time, that spirit, through the spirit, a salvation, a, a, a proclamation of repentance and salvation was given to them. Now again, all right, we, we've talked about it, and I think that's where we should land. That the proclamation of, that was given was God's righteousness and the need to repent. And the time, I'm convinced, was in the time of Noah. And it was through that spirit, through the words of Noah being used of the spirit to make that known. So why, why bring this up? That's the next question. If that's what it says, then why, why talk about it? Why does this, what does this have to do with this, vic, this salvation, this, this resurrection victory? Well, he's drawing a, a comparison. He's saying to, to you and me, to the people who, who, who are reading this letter in the first century, that note that just as God was with Noah and his family, just as he was at work in all that happened from the hundred years of building and then the, the, the waters breaking forth through, from the... The, from under the earth and the mantle letting loose and this torrent and this worldwide flood that again in all those things and all those that 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 dip, this grand immense that we've never like we've never seen before demonstration of God's wrath against sinners that his people were kept secure That when the whole world, like literally the whole world just kind of almost came apart. <laughs> that when, you know, we, we, we talk figuratively in those worlds. I feel like my whole world's upside down. It's like everything's just going. But, but what, there was a day when water shot up from the earth and, and torrential rain that had like had never been came from the sky and and... And everyone who thought, there is no God, there is no judgment, there is no righteous God, that, that they were just gone. But God's chosen people that had His favor were completely secure. That's, that's the comparison. That's why He brings this up. They were brought safely through the water. And that right there is interesting, isn't it? If you were telling the story of Noah, would you say he was brought safely through the water? One commentator pointed out, you know, really you would say he was brought safely in the ark, right? And that would be a true way of saying it. How did he... What did he... Why through... It wasn't a submarine. It was the fact that he endured. He went through. There was judgment all around him. And he was secure in the ark. In the same way that Israel passed through the waters of the Red Sea. That kind of makes sense, but no water ever touched them. Right? 
completely dry, completely, you know. There was dry ground, not just muddy ground, dry ground. They passed through the Jordan River to the Promised Land. It's this... It's the waters that represent judgment, the judgment of God, and and they made it through that judgment and out safely on the other side. And and that's where we are now. We're in a period where where we feel the the, the sin of the world, the, 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 the brokenness of the world, and we know, and he's saying, just like Noah knew there was an impending wrath, there was an impending judgment, we are secure. We are kept safe through the judgment, through the wrath. That's the extent of it. That's why I want you to see that, that it's not when you talk about Jesus paid for my sins and He makes me clean, but you have to remember He passed through that judgment. He endured God's wrath. He endured a wrath that was greater than the flood greater than the people that were the victims of the flood, the just, who received their just judgment, He passed through that for us. And, and we who have faith in Him and, and look to Him for our salvation, we, looking to Him, we pass through and are kept safe in Christ through the waters of God's judgment. That's his point. That's what he's getting at. Just as they were brought safely through, hey, that's you and me. We're in the same way with Peter, preaching to spirits, preaching to, the, to people's souls, preaching to those who are, need salvation. Not all will believe, not all will come to, to saving knowledge, not all will repent and turn to Christ. But for those of us who have, even though we suffer, even though we may die for the faith, we will be brought safely through. And the wrath of God will not touch us because sin has been paid for in Christ. Understanding that helps us understand this next thing, the security of Christ's victory. The extent, it's not just that he, our sins aren't counted, but remember what our sins deserve. And he's, in, he's paid, he's endured judgment for us. But now I want you to know the security of Christ's victory. And that brings us now to this reference to baptism. In this passage, baptism, it says, corresponds to... Or symbolizes how Noah and his family were saved through the waters of the flood. How does that, what does that mean? You know, when you first read that, if you read it out of context, baptism, it says now saves you. And the question is, is, is in a, thing, a question I asked through the to our uh, you know, faith conversations group. Is, is, is this saying that we're saved by the work of baptism? And we have to say no. Again, when we come to a passage that seems obscure and we go, what? we have to use Scripture to interpret Scripture. 
We go to other, more clear passages to understand this passage. And we know from the rest of Scripture, we look to Romans, look to Galatians, look to other places that we're saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone, not through works. And again, the whole point of Romans is that, you know, doing the sign of circumcision, doing signs and covenant signs does not save you. So it makes no sense, therefore, that a, that a sign of a, something, that, a, that an outward act would be a means of salvation. No, it's, it's, it's faith. It's faith that saves. Faith in Christ that saves. Not, not, not our obedience. Not the obedience that happens after. Not the obedience that happens before. But, the obedience, but it's the obedience of Christ. His righteousness. But he says this much here. He, he explains it. He says, to, to, and to prevent misunderstanding, Peter at once adds that he's not speaking of just this outward application of water, the removal of dirt from the body. That's what he says. That this passing through the waters of judgment corresponds or symbolizes or is a type or points to baptism, but not in the way that water removes dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's not talking about just the outward application of the water, even some kind of magical spell that, that makes you clean. It's not talking about just an outward cleanliness. It's rather he's speaking of the new existence that we have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Edmund Clowney goes on, he says, When baptism is compared to the waters of the flood, or to the waters of the Red Sea, the threatening symbolism of water is brought into view. Israel was brought through the waters of the sea and of the Jordan. Noah was brought through the waters of the flood. Christians are brought through the waters of death, the flood of destruction, in order that, that they might be established upon the rock, secure in the resurrection of Christ. Have you ever thought about the water of baptism pointing to that? The water of baptism pointing to the waters of judgment? You know, when we uh, do a baptism in our book of church order, there's some things we are to, to recite or make sure we communicate. And... Uh, if you're if you're if you have your book of church order, um, you can turn to chapter fifty six, section four, subsection C. I'll wait on you to turn. No, uh, but uh, but this is what it says, and this is you know what we believe as a church that the water and baptism represents and signifies both the blood of Christ, which taketh away all guilt of sin, original and actual, and the sanctifying virtue of the Spirit of Christ against the dominion of sin, the corruption of our sinful nature. That baptizing or sprinkling and washing with water signifies cleansing from the sin by the blood for the merit of Christ, together with mortification of sin, rising from sin to newness of life, by virtue of death and resurrection. So when we read that, we realize that when we do baptism, we're, it's pointing more, it signifies the, the cleansing blood of Christ. And so the question is, is that, is that in, conf in conflict with what we read here? And the answer is no. Because what does the blood symbolize? What is the blood, that washing the blood of the land, what do we mean by that? It's not literal. Just like we're not talking about a literal cleansing of the water, it's not literal washing with the blood, but that Jesus did what? 
gave up. He passed through death. He passed through judgment. And that the judgment of the flood is actually the greater judgment is that judgment of ultimate wrath that Jesus went through. And so, because His, his blood sacrifice is sufficient, we no longer have blood sacrifices. There's no more, we don't have a bloody religion because the blood of Christ is once and for all. But now we do. We sprinkle with water. And that water, again, but through Christ, the water doesn't signify judgment. It signifies cleansing. But if not for Christ... There would be judgment. There would be no cleansing. There would be no way to be clean. There would be no way to pass through. But through Christ, His life, His death, His resurrection, that water is now a sign of being made clean, being made new, of guilt being taken away. Not because water actually cleanses, but because Jesus, again, shed His blood, passed through judgment for us. This, this appeal to a good conscience, it's, it's, it's really, but what you, another way to say it is that it's, it's not, it's not the, the water that saves, it's this appeal in faith to God. That He would give us a good conscience. That He would create in us a clean heart. And that's what we have through faith in Him. And where is He now? Where is the one who's passed through death? Who's endured the wrath? He's risen, as we've said. And He's seated at the right hand of God. How does that make you feel? The one who's done the work, the one who's died and rose again, the one who, this, this one who's been working since the time of Noah and is working now, making his gospel known, making this message known that those of us who, who hear it and, and repent and have faith in him through the power of the Spirit, that we are kept secure. And he just wants you to know. He just ends with this. And that one who's done that, he is seated high above everything else. There is no power that comes close to him. There is no one that can challenge him. He who has you secure, he who has led you through, cannot. that can't be undone. There is no one greater. And so all the threats, all the dangers, all the things that bring suffering, all the things that we, should, that we could we should fear, the fallen angels, the evil authorities, the, the, the power, they've all been subjected to Him. And whatever we endure, whatever we go through, we come back to the reflection, the motir. The God who created us and redeemed us never ceases to work out His purposes. Nothing ever touches us except by God's determination in accordance with His will in order to achieve His purpose. He's too great and loves us too much to allow it to be otherwise. I started with saying that 
the only way through a you know to out of this is through this difficult passage. But the only way out from under the righteous wrath of God was through. And Jesus went through it. And He's the better ark. He's the better Noah. He's the better Moses. He's the better God with us. He's the better temple. He comes to fulfill all those things. And in Him we are secure. And we pass through not just the suffering of this world secure, but through, but through safely through the wrath that is deserved. That's what He wants us to see. That's what He wants us to feel. That's what He wants us to know. That we're secure in Him. And all things are under His authority. His victory... He suffered once for sins. He rose in resurrection victory. We are, that's the means of His victory. And the extent is that He has dealt with and absorbed and, and suffered for all the wrath of God. And therefore we are secure in Him. Nothing can touch us. Nothing can undo His, his, his saving love, salvation that He's wrought. The only way out is through and Jesus brings us through all the way home to Him. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank You for this, Your Word. And we pray that we would know it, we would remember it, we would uh, we would find real rest in the midst of suffering and know that our security is... For the, for the life to come, but also in the life right now. And that we would enjoy, live for you, find delight in you. Not just an act like we like suffering, but because the ultimate suffering you've endured. And you want us to be with you. And you will see it done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Jesus passed through death and into new life so that we may pass through it with him and be with him. And this meal shows us that. He, again, just this, when he instituted this meal, he was with his disciples who were um, broken people, sinners, and got it wrong a lot. And... Um, would uh, run, run and hide and, and be faithless when Jesus stepped in and was faithful for them. Uh, that's, that's you and me. But he still says, come. Come and partake. And so if you feel your, your sin, if you feel convicted, if you are convinced of your unworthiness, but you are convinced that Jesus loves you and saved you, then this meal is for you. Um, don't let your knowledge of sin make you not come that's the spirit's work and if you are turning to him in repentance and you know that you're a sinner and you know that there's things that you've fallen short and you need his grace then this meal is for you to remind you that you have that grace that that god supplies uh, what he requires and so come um, brothers and sisters and partake if you're not a christian if you're not a member in a in a a good standing of a church that preaches and believes the gospel. We ask you not to come, take of the meal, um, not to be exclusive, not to not show love or hospitality, but because the scriptures themselves say to not drink and eat of this meal in an unworthy manner. But this is a time we want you to consider that that Jesus is is the one who has passed through the judgment on our behalf. He can pass through the judgment that you deserve if you but, but trust in him. But brothers and sisters, I invite you to come and partake. If you are a visitor, I want you to just let you know how we do this. If you're sitting in this back section, you go to the table and receive the elements from Justin and Vince. If, if, you live in this back, if you're in this back section, go to Shannon and, and Peck. And then those that are in the front uh, pews, we're going to come forward to this table. We'll take the elements, take the bread and the, and the fruit of the vine, the cup, and then go back to our seats and take of them together. Let's feed upon Christ by faith. Thank you.